Today's episode is brought to you by Pale Horse Media Co. Head on over to www.palehorsemedia.co for more of your favorite shows, books, and merch. I have two brand new releases for you over at Pale Horse Media Co. The first one, In His Name, My First Dive Into Fiction. It is just a fun, cool thriller if you're into that kind of sort of thing. And and we have the second expanded edition of the original, of the OG Safety Sucks, the bullshit and the safety profession they don't tell you about. I go through, I expand on some thoughts, add some bonus material, reflect on some of the chapters. So if either of those sound like things you should be interested in, again head over to www.palehorsemedia.co CO or find them on your Amazon marketplace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your support of the books of the podcast of the merch store of everything. It truly means the world to us. This, this, this show is brought to you by safety FM. The hop nerd podcast is brought to you by hop university. Head on over to hopuniversity.org for all things human and organizational performance. We have on-demand hop training, on-demand communication training, leadership training, all of that kind of stuff. Our specialty, our specialty is one-on-one coaching for safety professionals. Head on over hopuniversity.org. Check us out. We're happy to help. We're also brought to you by Safety Sucks. Safety Sucks. SafetySucks.net. Head on over, pick up your copy today of my first book, Safety Sucks, the bullshit in the safety profession they don't tell you about. Available on Amazon and SafetySucks.net. Hello. Howdy. Hi, everybody. It's Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, yet again, bringing you another episode of the Hop Nerd Podcast. I hope that you are doing amazing wherever you find yourself out there in this crazy, wild world. Hopefully, things are getting pretty much back to normal for you. I hope that uh, everything is going well. Uh, before we get too far into this thing, head over to the website, www.thehopnerd.com. Follow along on all things social media, all that stuff. Like, subscribe, share. You know what I'm, you know what I'm going to say. Show us some love. Of some L-O-V-E on all the stuff that we've got going on out there. Uh, also head over to hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P-University.org. We've got all kinds of classes, all kinds of stuff that we're doing that we've got going on there. You know, my favorite thing, my specialty, what we really love doing is we have one-on-one coaching for safety folks, for safety practitioners. So go check that out. We've got all kinds of fun stuff happening. There's stuff going on on Teachable now. Teachable is so Cool. Look, Teachable doesn't sponsor us or anything. I just like the platform. I think it's super cool. It's a really fun way to be able to share some classes with you. So go check that out. Use the code TRY, that's TRY, TRY2020, and get 20% off any, all of our courses. Super cool. So again, go check all that stuff out. I'm going to shut up about all the stuff that I've got going on because today is amazing. That's that's the only way that I can say it, because we have the one, the only, the amazing Rosa Carrillo on the podcast. You want to double the volume on this one, tune in, enjoy, because it is just great. Rosa is just so full of wisdom and just, just knowledge and just great 
stuff. This was just a conversation. You'll you'll be able to hear it in my voice. I just had a lot of fun having this conversation. Uh, it's it's kind of similar to the conversation we had with with Clive Lloyd not too long ago, where you just get to kind of tune in and learn from these folks, and it's just it's just great. So here's me, you, Rosa, hanging out, talking about all kinds of really important stuff in and around safety. If you say, I'm going to get creative with safety, they go, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, you know, you can be innovative anywhere else you want. In right. fact, we demand that you be innovative, exactly. but not in safety. And isn't that so odd, right? Especially in such an area that, that we all strive to, to seek betterment in. Uh, and it seems to me that that uh, really that betterment would happen through that innovation, through that experimentation, through getting creative and adaptive and figuring stuff out. Uh, but we quickly just say, no, <laughs> no, better not. That's too risky and scary for us. Right? Well, so. There's a lot of repercussions. I, I think it's all around liability. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, could we live in such a such a weird litigious society anyways right where we're so quick to see that stuff kind of happen and uh, organ- organizations in particular are very fearful it seems of that they're fearful of the regulator they're fearful of their insurance companies they're fearful of their employees turning on them if something doesn't go great and kind of again yeah. back to the litigation side of that so it's it's weird it's it's interesting to see though well but that's one of, one of the things they will ding you on is whether or not you've been enforcing these safety yeah. procedures right Right. So if you go around letting people be creative, um, it could get you in big trouble. Scary, True. scary stuff. <laughs> Create yeah. creativity yeah. Gets, gets quite scary for some of them. But we're trying to figure out a way to uh, get it, work it into the system so that it's part of the system where you um, can employ, you know, adaptive capability right. uh, and know when it is that you have to check back with the sources because it, it isn't good to take risks when you don't know what the consequences right, might be. Right. Well, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really interesting as we kind of move towards that stuff mm-hmm. that we hear this conversation happening around being more um, really than rather than being risk adverse, being risk adaptive, risk aware, and being able to yes. adapt to that risk, right. To be knowledgeable of it and understanding how, like we kind of mm-hmm. said, as you said, you know, understanding some of the outcomes and yeah. understanding that we need to, think that stuff through. I think it's, it's really interesting. It is interesting. Uh, some of my, some of my friends and colleagues that I chat with uh, in Australia quite a bit, that's a lot of where their minds are going is into procedures um, that allow um, really, they've, they've, they've been calling it this freedom in the frame model. Yes. That gives you some of these rumble strips and guardrails around, but in the inside, it gives you that ability to use your knowledge and, and insight and all those lessons you learn to adapt and figure stuff out and create efficiency and all, all this good stuff that we want. Um, but give them, giving them the rumble strips to say, okay, you're getting a little too far to the left or right, or maybe going a little too fast. You know, you might want to slow down here or or you might want to raise your hand and say hey we need to talk about this part you know so it's just interesting just to hear that yeah well it is uh it's a lot harder to set up a framework like that than it is to dig uh, write up some rules and procedures and i'm not sure it, it the part of the problem is that when our safety professionals are being educated that's not part of their education exactly and so we're uh you know we throw out these ideas, you know, freedom within a framework and, and you're sitting there, well, you know, what's a framework? Right. What the heck is a framework going yeah, to look yeah, like? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I've been uh, talking about uh, from the relationship angle, mm-hmm. the importance of the 
accurate communication, complete communication, and trust levels that you need as the basic foundation for something like that to work. Right. Because right. if you are, if people aren't uh, speaking up and letting you know when they're experimenting, uh, when there's been a failure, uh, then you're not, then the information just gets submerged and you don't learn from it and they add up to you know, fatalities or, or failures. So the way that uh, you relate to the people in your organizations, the way you have conversations with them is, is really critical. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting to me because, and I'll, I'll just, I'll throw this question at you. Uh, just, mm-hmm. it's more of an opinion, um, but what I've historically seen, or at least my feelings are that the, folks are, are, they're adapting anyways, right? They're, yes. they're going out and they're experimenting usually anyways, right? They're, they're creating yes. that efficiency mm-hmm. and they're finding better ways to do things. Uh, and the organization's job should really be to exactly what you said to, to create an environment in which honesty is possible. And we can talk about those things mm-hmm. and say, listen, mm-hmm. I know that it's not quite, you know, the procedure here, but this is what we did and it worked. Let's talk about it. Right. It seems like that would be a great learning opportunity for an organization. Um, it seems very often, though, organizations are very quick to kind of put our heads in the sand and go, no, 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 we're following the rules. We're following the procedures. That's why everything's going fine. Right. And that's yeah. usually not quite the case. Huh? No, it's not quite the case. And I remember uh, talking about that with one safety professional. And she says, well, as long as people tell me before they change the procedure, I don't want them coming to me after they've changed uh. it. So so you're out there doing your work, you know, you're going to run out to somebody every time you're going to make an adjustment, because as you said, people are always making adjustments, and they do not think of it as changing the procedure. No, They think of it as maybe a little tweak here, a little tweak there, uh, make a little bit more efficient, but not violating a procedure. They don't think about it in those terms. It's, it's kind of that field fit and finish, right? We, we do that with everything, even procedures, right? We kind of, we kind of, kind of, yeah. kind of come up with the field fit for that. And that's how I, I kind of chuckle at that because uh, as safety practitioners, we're usually very quick to do that, to try to put that roadblock in the way to say, no, 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 stop here. You know, it's on you to stop and you should stop and come to us and talk to us. And I, I, I get where they're coming from. I totally understand where they're coming from, but it's to me, anytime that we put something in the way of efficiency, it seems like it's just within our nature to mm-hmm. kind of bypass that, create a workaround Absolutely. and just yeah. create efficiency because we, we really desire that as humans, right? I, I, we try to be as efficient as we can in all things. Uh, and work is no different, even if we put a, 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 a speed bump there, I guess would be kind of a way to say it, a safety professional speed bump. We're just going to kind of drive around. You see people driving through the neighborhoods doing it all the time, right? We just kind of skirt around, around, around the speed bumps. So yeah, that's, that, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. You yeah. it's like those uh, permits, you know, the safety work permits. Uh, I was working with a client and they actually um, did a very funny skit about it because they just sat around for days waiting for the permits to process right. the right person wasn't there to do right. design for it. And they're saying like, God, we're, we're um, drowning in bureaucracy where exactly. we can't get our work done. Well, there's, there's so much of that that we, um, I was having a chat with someone we were talking about that the other day where, where we really take 
this and permits are a great example. And I'm not saying that it always manifests like this, but it typically manifests like this, right? Where we take the power away from the folks that actually know how to do the task. Mm -hmm. And we give that authority and power to someone that actually doesn't do the task. And it just seems dangerous to me, right? Safety professional or not sure. We we might have a pretty good grasp on certain things, but we're Mm -hmm. taking away the power and the authority from the person that's actually going to go work on xyz and giving it to someone that doesn't do X, xyz and then we kind of say okay that makes things better but it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't seem like it just creates more bureaucracy as, as, it, as it seems at least yeah yeah so. well one of the things i've been uh, you know to that point uh, i've been introducing because i am not a safety professional mm-hmm. um my background is in organizational development team mm-hmm. uh and leadership development so I've, uh, but I ended up working in safety because um, my first jobs uh, entailed coming in and working with uh, sites that had suffered through a fatality and wanted yeah. to do a systems analysis from an organizational perspective, uh, as opposed to uh, just a, you know, an accident investigation. Right. So I got very uh, involved because that's where I I learned one of my most fundamental lessons uh, was when the employees, um, one of the employees told me that the cause of their fatality was lack of trust and open communication. Of course, that was a long time ago and lack of trust and open communication were not considered valid root causes for accidents. And so, of course, I told him that he wasn't, that he was misinformed and that we had to go back to the system and find out where it had broken down. But he insisted um, because he said, you know, we've been trying to tell management about that specific piece of equipment for years. And now that somebody's dead, they're finally listening. And and I thought, oh my God, you know, all this information is around us all of the time, but we are not listening. And, And the biggest reason we don't listen is because we don't trust the person who's giving us the information. Yeah. It has to come from certain people, certain individuals, uh, or we just don't listen. And it's an uphill battle. It really is. Well, and it seems like uh, so much of, for so many of these organizations, um, we go down this path of, of, of trust and we kind of go out and just say, trust us, trust us, trust us. But we, we don't kind of back that up with our actions and reactions and kind of all those different pieces. Uh, and many of these organizations may, may be trying to evolve from maybe a more punitive style of safety into maybe safety differently or something that's a, a, a little, a little, dare I say, better than, <laughs> than, than where we've been. Mm-hmm. Um, but those skeletons still seem to hang on, right? Um, a, a lot of what I've spent time doing is going out and speaking with frontline employees and doing focus groups and really pulsing organizations. And they always share that. They'll say, well, you know, I brought this up and I was quickly smacked down or I got in trouble. And then you ask the question, well, okay, well, well when was that? Well, it was 15 years ago. Right? Yes. Employees, employees rarely forgiven that and they never forget things. Right. And I think that's such a testament to that, that, you know, we have to continually be working on creating those environments where honesty is possible. If we lose sight of that for even a split second, we're probably doing something to damage it. Right. 
Well, it's it's another great example of how our managers and our safety professionals aren't educated in the social processes. But, you know, the impact of an action like that can be mitigated, but you have to apologize. Right. You have to have right. a conversation where you treat people as equals and yes. say, okay, I was wrong in that instance, or it was something right. that was beyond my control. I empathize with mm. your anger. I empathize with your pain. Your friend, that was your friend that was killed. That was your friend who lost his right. job. Uh, and, and then sit down and just really talk about it. Yeah. Then 10 years later, you're not going to hear about the same thing. Right. But if, right. if you don't, um, manage it and talk about it and arrive at some kind of healing at the time. It, right. it never goes away. You're absolutely right. Well, I'm wondering so what's going to happen now with the COVID, with the return to yeah. work. Because be so many times. people have lost their jobs. Um, and then we're thinking, oh, everybody will just come back to work and we're going to impose all of these COVID protocols right. and everybody will just follow them, right? <laughs> Right. Well, and that's I, I keep having this conversation around around COVID in particular is that I'm hoping, right? Fingers crossed. This is me being very optimistic. Is that I'm hoping that that at least through this, many organizations have started to see how much of their processes are just bureaucracy, how much of those rules and systems quickly just crumbled and collapsed and are meaningless in certain situations. Yes, that's and hopefully, true. hopefully we start to some. I hope some look at this and use that. You know, kind of pull some positivity out of it and use some of those learnings going, you know, maybe that rule's not that great. Maybe this process is not that great. Maybe we should, maybe we've gotten so lean that we've lost some resiliency. Maybe we need to focus on working here or working there. There's, I'm just hoping, I'm, I'm just, again, that's just me being purely optimistic and hoping that some of these things, you know, we can learn something from them. Well, that, um, would, only, that would only happen again if we had a conversation. Right. Well, you hit on something that was, that, that, it's just powerful, right? I'm, I'm actually, I've, I've got some, some chill bumps here just, and it's something so simple that you said that, you know, one of those bad, just a, it was a bad reaction, right? You can be quickly remedied by treating people like people and just saying, sorry, just apologizing. And to me, what I'm thinking, what I was thinking in the back of my head when you were saying that was that something that was, could have been extremely negative just was, could be turned so quickly into a positive interaction between people. Right. Where I was a human and I said something stupid. I stuck my foot in my mouth and I overreacted and I quickly apologized and shown that humility and, and, and said, I'm sorry. And now that's that becomes almost positive folklore in the organization where you're going, you know, that leader, it, it, he said something stupid, but he said he was sorry to me. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Right. And that quickly spreads. Wow. I, that was just so powerful to, to I, again, this, I'm, I'm sitting here kind of looking at my chill bumps on my arm going, you know, the power of just a quick apology is, a, is an amazing thing, isn't it? It is. It is really. And, and also um, revealing uh, your vulnerability because you're saying, well, you know, I'm really sorry. I, I don't have all the answers. I don't right. know how to do everything. Yes. Perfectly. Yeah. And I need your help. That's huge. Uh, I've seen... Um, it's so hard for people to do that, uh, especially men, because you yeah. uh, have this whole, uh, and, and if you're in a management position, you have all this responsibility. So you, there's the wrong impression that the best, best way to lead is to have all the answers and right. to be very certain that this is the path that we have to follow. But it isn't true because there's just too many things out there in the environment that that nobody could be completely aware of. So why do you think that people, that uh, most likely people will not have those conversations when they go back? 
to the workplace, uh, even though there's going to be, for example, maybe you're not even bringing back 20% of your workforce because you can't afford it. So the people that come back are going to be suffering that loss. Not to mention they may have lost a loved one um, with the virus, but we're not probably not going to have that conversation when everybody arrives at first. Right. Right. Well, and there's, there's so much of that. That's so um, just the ability, right. I, I, I was having this conversation uh, the other day with a friend and we we're talking about trust and how, how mm-hmm. most of us probably don't actually trust the organizations that we work for. And that might not be a bad thing, right. I, I'm uh, when right, we, we like, right. we toss around the trust word quite a bit. Uh, but I don't necessarily trust my bank. I don't necessarily trust, you know, the, the the company I buy my car from. I might not trust certain elements, if even the government or certain elements of other people. So I might not trust my employer. But for me, it's about creating the, those environments in which honesty is possible, right? And trust could probably be a byproduct of that, being able to have those conversations. And, and so much of the conversations that we've been having lately have been driving into this element of psychological safety, of just the ability to throw those ideas out there without being quickly smacked down or, you know, the, the ability to kind of stick your neck out without having your head lopped off um, the ability to be able to report things and say, listen, you know, during this, during this pandemic, I get that this is, you know, against the, the rules, but this is what we did to adapt. And this is how we figured it out. Um, most organizations, that, that's a scary conversation. It seems like, and I understand that, right. The last thing most uh especially higher level leaders and organizations want to do is, is, is hear this story about how they had an employee that broke the rules or almost died. But those are exactly the stories that it seems like we would want to hear about, but we quickly kind of go, Oh no, 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 don't, no, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. <laughs> and it moves, it moves opposite from learning though. Right. Yeah. It's completely the opposite from learning. Uh, I, the, the thing that I learned in doing my research for my book um, I called it the relationship factor and safety leadership because I I realized as I interviewed more and more uh, successful leaders, not necessarily just in safety, but about safety, that they had a really different view of of human nature than the ones who were not successful. And and the big difference is that uh, people really are willing to contribute. They want to contribute, which means they want to be heard. They want to be respected. They want to be seen. Uh, So when, when a leader actually includes people and elicits their opinions, elicits their advice and then implements it, which is like the highest compliment you can give somebody they're actually building those relationships, which open the way for that information flow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I, I meditate a lot because I think mm-hmm. meditation helps you stay calm in tense situations so that you don't, your mind doesn't close up when you feel mm. threatened. Right. Uh, and I've just finally acknowledged that human interaction is probably one of the riskiest things there is. Because you don't know if you're going to be rejected. You don't know if you're going to be uh, accepted or put down. Uh, And and lots of people have have written about that phenomenon. And I thought that was interesting, that that interacting with people in the social setting is probably one of the riskiest things we do because of our need for acceptance and our need for belonging. 
which a lot of people don't admit to, but it's been shown. I'm sure uh, Clive talked about that, that yes. psychological need for belonging and acceptance right. is hardwired into the brain yeah. and really limits how much risk we're willing to take to be open and to be authentic. So we have to work right. on it. And right. that's where meditation for me has really come in. That's, that's powerful. And, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's something that um, we kind of touched on this, especially with leaders, mm-hmm. you know, um, most leaders, uh, they find themselves in positions of leadership. And I'm just speaking in general terms here. This isn't for every organization or every leader out there, mm-hmm. obviously. <laughs> but but a good sizable portion of leaders find themselves in positions of leadership, not because they're really good at this, the warm, squishy stuff that we, we hoped that they would be good at, but they're mm-hmm. good at getting stuff done, right? They're yes. good at getting things done. They're, they've, they've accomplished some strategic goals to throw some corporate speak in there for any of those folks that listen to us, some strategic goals for an organization. They've helped grow uh, something. They've helped make money ultimately somewhere usually. And it's not been so much about those kind of, um, uh, we, 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 we really call them soft skills, but they're essential skills, right? They're truly essential skills that people need if you're going to be in a position of leadership. Um, how can organizations focus more on that? Because it seems like an area that gets neglected quite a bit. It's an afterthought. If it is even a thought, it seems like in most organizations, usually they don't go down this path of, how do we help grow or, or how, how do we help show our leaders how to work on these relationship pieces until maybe something really bad has happened? Well, um, you know, one of my areas, because I am in OD as opposed to safety, is I've done a lot of interviews uh, with uh, upper level executives. And then I talk to their CEO because they're 360, you know, the 360 assessment. So you, have, mm-hmm. you talk to their boss. You even talk to some of the board members uh, to find out, uh, you know, what they think of the person's performance. They all understand that the people skills are essential. They notice that people with people skills are um, successful. There's a a knowing doing gap. Have you heard of that? The knowing doing gap? Okay. So there's the knowing, but then there's the difficulty of actually doing that. So you have that most companies have emotional intelligence training Mm -hmm. uh, sessions. They'll hire a coach for a promising executive who needs help with their uh, people skills. And that is um, work that works for many people that works for many people, but then you have the extremely technically competent genius Mm -hmm whom we really need their uh, technical skills or they understand the market so well that, that we really can't afford to lose them. And we will put up with anything right? in order to keep them. Basically that's, that's the reality. So there's always uh, those uh, who uh, within the company that have the people skills. And what I always tell them is why don't you just admit that you don't like to work in that arena that you don't have the right. skills yeah. and get yeah. some, partner up with somebody right. who does right. and listen to their advice. Right. <laughs> and I had a, one client who said, yeah, he said, I used to have my assistant kick me under the desk. <laughs> said, stop, stop talking. Right. <laughs> when I, yeah, when I was off the mark. <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> and I thought that's, that's creative. That's a creative right. solution. <laughs> Back, back to being adaptive, right? <laughs> how to be successful, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. No, that's that's great. So for some of you out there listening, you might need that. There are people that will help you out, I'm sure, at your company. They'll be more than happy to kick you. 
That's excellent, though. That's absolutely. But you excellent. can measure people by the black and blue marks on the shirts. <laughs> on their shirts right? You see them at the, you can tell at the company cookout when you see everyone in shorts. It's, it's, <laughs> so that's 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 interesting though because you know we kind of touched on that of leaders being in a position to where they can admit that they don't know things or say you know I'm not sure right. Many organizations are built on the kind of the premise that that's not acceptable, though, right? That if you're in a position of leadership, you're supposed to be the great knower almost, right? You're supposed to have all the answers or hold all the answers. Uh, so it seems like we find some leaders in those positions that quickly just kind of shoot from the hip and just go, okay, I, I don't know. And I, and I get that that's, that's even deeper than the organization. Um, you can get into some of that kind of uh, kind of masculine stuff there right, where I yeah, have to yeah, know yeah. things. Um, so it can be much deeper than that and things that people need to be aware of. But uh, we have to focus on those environments for those leaders too, right? And create an environment in which they can say, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yes. Because yes. So, so often yes. that's just not been an acceptable answer. Many organizations will say, well, I pay you to know. <laughs> right? No, no, that's true. Um, the other part though is that Um, Some people just don't believe that relationships are important or that emotions have a place in the workplace. If you, if I say something to you and I hurt your feelings, well, that's your problem. Right. Not my problem. And to a certain extent, I agree. Yes. The way I take things uh, is my problem ultimately, Mm -hmm. but as a leader, you have a responsibility uh, to notice that and to manage that aspect of the relationship. Not everybody's going to come to you and say, boy, I was really insulted at the last meeting by what you said. Not right. Very few people are going to tell you that. They'll just quit. They'll walk away and they'll stop talking. So there's a, there is a real business reason to be more self-aware and to pay attention to people's emotions and how you're impacting Absolutely. that in the workplace because emotions really do affect uh, safety awareness. They affect performance overall. Yes. Yeah. And more and more research is coming out on that. When I think, I think most people just anecdotally can kind of close their eyes and imagine that situation where you've, you've had a negative interaction with someone that you worked for. And mm-hmm. even you're just talking about the ways that it affects everything, basically, right? You just think about the way that you go, oh, see if I ever do X, Y, Z for that person again, right? And it just, your productivity goes through the floor. Everything goes through the floor, right? You just go, I'm not dealing with them. It's going to be life or death if I have to have a conversation with that person again, right? And it's something that, that we share quite a bit, especially when we talk about um, just the way we communicate. It seems like as communicators, we forget a lot of times that we're not only responsible for the message, but for how people receive or perceive that message at the same time, because I see, I've seen some amazing folks. I mean, I'm, I'm not picking on executives, but it seems like they get a little more detached the farther they, they get away from the sharper end of the organization, obviously, mm-hmm. but they'll say something and they'll have such passion around it and have such a good intent. But when it gets to the sharp edge of the organization, they go, what an idiot. <laughs> right? Or it just, it's that game of telephone that, that comes yeah. through the wrong way. And they'll say, you know, they'll say something. Uh, the story that I always share is that, you know, this executive was, was saying, you know, it's good for people to have a healthy fear and respect for the processes that we work around because they're dangerous. By the time that message, uh, this is a true personal story. By the time that that message got to the front line <laughs> employees and you ask them, they say, the executive just said we should be afraid of him. 
right? And you're going, whoa, hold on, hold on a second. It cut right through the to the chase. <laughs> well, it kind of trickles down through those middle layers and it's stripped for time yes. and importance and it's it's diluted down or distilled down to where it just goes, fear is good. No, that's not what that's not, that's not what I meant. Right? So there's there is so much of that in that understanding, right? That that um I find it so powerful not to get on kind of a side tangent here, but um, especially with those, those higher level leaders and organizations that so many people in the organizations based off of kind of the organization's folklore form opinions about those leaders and might have never even met them in the past. I, I had a conversation with, with an individual in an organization just a few weeks ago where they're telling me this amazing story about this leader, about how, how they're such a great person and an amazing person. They do this. And, it, and when I asked them if they'd ever met them, they said, I've, no, actually, I've not met them. This is just stories that I've heard from others. Mm-hmm. So it's so powerful, those interactions, those relationships that you've built with people, yeah. even if it's not with that one person person in particular, it can have a lasting effect or a really profound effect throughout the entire organization, it seems. It does. And that's why I've really emphasized the importance of conversation in my book, mm-hmm. because people are always talking, they're always interacting. Right. And that's what they're talking about is the reality of the organization. Right. They're creating the organization yeah. by talking. Yeah. So if you think that your memo or your email or your, your message right. uh, is out there shaping everybody's perspective and the way they're going to behave, you're wrong. Yeah. Because the way that they those folks interpreted his message is what's running right. things at the right. sharp edge. So with that, you know, we most organizations, I, I, I don't mean to throw kind of the corporate speak, I, I pick on them quite a bit for the, for the way we talk in organizations, but they have these strategic and established means of communication uh, right. And we use those because they work, right? That's a very loose term, right? They yeah. work. <laughs> but how much of how much of that is good and bad? You know, we touched on emails and, and memos. Uh, that's usually the main way. I catch myself talking to leaders and saying, "You shouldn't. You should send less emails." It's just a general yeah. advice. You should send less emails. You should go talk face to face with people. How right. much of how much of that should we focus on? Because it seems like we've we've really regressed to just sending memos, right? We just send stuff and say, "Here you go, here's your information." Um, how much should how much should leaders spend time focusing on actually going out and talking to people? Well, good leaders spend about seventy percent of their time doing that. Wow! But uh, wow. it depends on their comfort zone. Again. Right. Are you people focused or not? Right, that's good. good I'm more comfortable going over the financials. Well, Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of time, you know. So I'm going to be I'm going to be doing that, or the marketing strategy, or whatever it is that that I like to that I feel comfortable and I feel good at it. If I'm that kind of person, I'm probably not too good at people interactions. So I don't look forward to that. I don't want to do it. So there's a lot of barriers to why people don't do it because the people who do do it, uh, it, it's amazing. I'm sure you've come across this too. Like they, 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 like everything is so easy for them with the, uh, you know, with the discipline or with getting things done, getting information, the performance. Uh, Like I was um, in, in my book, I tell the story about one of the, um, managers for the for, for a mine in Australia who was brought in because a, a performance a financial as well as safety performance was so bad and a couple of years later it was the highest of the whole business 
And I asked him what he did. And he, and he said, I, I told all of my managers that when they pass an employee, look at him or her in the eye, use their name and say hello or good wow. morning. Wow. Uh, it changed the entire culture because then, oh, okay, now I know how to break yeah. the ice. People yeah. will start talking to me, getting information. Yeah. They start doing it with each other. Yeah. yeah. So there it is. It's not complicated it it's just not, it's yeah. difficult because of our own personal um personality i guess right. and, and what it, we like and don't it's like hard it. it's almost hard to get out of our own way and that's what, yeah. what it seems like yeah because yeah. we we all do that i think it's back to kind of what, what we what you touched on kind of right a little bit ago was that mm-hmm. we're we even leaders we have that fear as we go out to talk to people being rejected we have that fear of not being accepted by the workforce Absolutely. we have that fear yeah. when we go out to have those conversations <clears throat> um i remember i share the story a bunch because i think it's just some of the best life advice career advice i'd ever i've ever received um when i first found myself in the safety profession it is right in line with exactly what you were saying my first ever i was the lowliest of the low safety tech on a job going out going to change the world i knew everything right i knew all the regs i knew all the rules right kind of back to the point that we're going to enforce the rules and we all start there it seems like right, we quickly right. realize how well, dumb that is but to do that so right, why- that's, that's a whole nother story i mean how <laughs> we, kind of, we, we hopefully evolve beyond that but I got there and the site director, the 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 director for uh, it was on a it was on a large nuclear site. Um, I cut my teeth in the nuclear world, and Ooh. the individual, the the safety director, kind of set me down and said, "Listen, for the first week that you're here, I want you to go out and I want you to do this. I want you to talk to people about anything that's not work related." for the entire week. That was my challenge. It was like, if you bring me something that has to do with work, I'm going to be upset. I want you to go out and talk to people about their kids, about their families, about their hobbies, about anything that's not work related. Mm. And it's amazing how quickly when you, when you accept that challenge and that's hard, that is so hard. I I was like, Oh, that's easy. This will be a great week. Easy money. Right. I'm just going to talk to people about, uh, about what sports teams they like and, and (laughs) you know what, what they do on the weekends. Uh, but it was it was hard because it's that you're going oh I don't know this is that person looks kind of mean I don't know some of those biases kick in and you're going I don't know that's <laughs> but once you start having those having those conversations mm-hmm. you start to really focus on just the relationship side after that week was over I could go out and say hey hey John Doe how are the kids doing you know I look yeah. forward to hearing you know how their how their game is next week you know and it's just interesting it's so interesting that you know my life was so much easier after I formed some of those relationships it seems like you can really accomplish some stuff once you actually know people it's kind of weird isn't it <laughs> uh, well you were very lucky to get such a mentor in the nuclear industry one of the places where with yeah. the highest levels of stress and mistrust. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it was a weird place to really find myself kind of learning uh, safety as a profession because uh, I, I, most of the folks listening, and I'm sure you're very well aware, there's such an aspect of almost, not almost, there is religious compliance that yeah. we really lose sight of people, right? And so the really important part, we just kind of mm-hmm. get into kind of this, this rule following mentality we lose sight on some of the adaptability. And then um, but there's that chasm between industrial safety and nuclear safety. Nuclear safety, right. Right. You, you end up with this, this well, and then, then you throw in radiological safety and public safety, kind of all these things are all, they're, they're so siloed apart is what's, what, what I found so interesting, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of growing up and being educated in environmental health and safety. And you get there and like, no, 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 you're just dealing with industrial safety. 
okay, that's <laughs> that's easy, I guess. It's easier. That's fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but so tell us about the book. We've we've touched on the book just a little bit, and uh, it's the relationship factor in safety leadership, right? Uh, tell us, tell tell everyone out there a little bit about the book. I love the title. I love all the stuff we've been touching on. We just kind of dove right in. That's how we do well, it. Well, right that, that's really we've been talking about the book because yeah. really it was my attempt to um, come up with a practical book that would help people uh, cultivate an organization that puts people first. Right. Uh, and now I'm I'm thinking along the lines too. Uh, after getting some reactions to my book, uh, one of them was from Ed Shine, who said, yeah. "You know." This may be the first safety book I've read where you talk about putting the social first. All the other safety books talk about the technical aspects of being safe. And without uh, without that um, relationship, you can't really have communication because communication is conversation understood. Mm. The other things are not communication. You can give information. Uh, you can teach someone, but you can't communicate if they're not truly understanding you and if you're not understanding their response and what they have understood. So I spend a, a large portion of my book on that. I also talk about all of the, I, I brought in a lot of neuroscience and mm. sociology and psychology to try and give a, a factual background for people who need to convince management that relationships are important. So yeah. hopefully, you know, that part, that part has been useful to the readers. That's exciting. And I was, I was just browsing at your book on Amazon um, just this morning. I look, I look forward to snagging a copy. So for folks out there that are, that are hoping to get their hands on it, it is available on Amazon. I believe it's Amazon prime. You can pick it up pretty quick. Uh, just listening to that and just reading the reviews and kind of reading, reading the summary of it there on Amazon. I'm excited to, to dig into it. I'm a nerd. Uh, the, the 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 title is 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 true. I'm a nerd for this stuff. It's it's great that uh, because you actually you actually studied under Edgar Schein. Is that is that true? Yes, I did. Um, he was uh, adjunct faculty at Pepperdine University where I got my master's. Yeah, we used to come in, uh, leave MIT, and come in and teach us for a week. I mean, we were just That's so, so cool. lucky. That's so cool. So I have to ask, how was that? Because I'm, I'm sitting here and I've got a few of them, but just the one that's sitting on my desk, right? I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here with the corporate culture survival guide, uh, just because I find myself in organizations talking so much about underlying assumptions. That's really where the conversation ends up at. Yes, yes. Right. But how was that? How was that to, to learn from the one and only? Well, to Edgar say Schoen? it was, uh, it reconfigured my understanding of the world. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. I was, uh, you know, in my late 30s, so I was undergoing a lot of, you know, just personal conflict in my personal life, and then work, a lot of resistance. I I wasn't connecting uh, with my audiences. Uh, I had supervisors turning their back on me and and not paying any attention to safety. I'm I'm like just "Ah," pulling out my hair, and all of a sudden, when I heard Ed talk about organizational culture, about how people work from their underlying assumptions and beliefs. It all came really clear to me that I, I had a different set of assumptions and beliefs than the people I was working with. And if I didn't try to bridge that gap and understand their beliefs and their assumptions and start having these conversations with them, I wasn't going to be able to connect. It was life changing. That's amazing. 
that's amazing. And just, um, I've never had the opportunity to, to meet the gentleman, but just reading his work is just, it's same. It's the same for me. I mean, obviously on a very much smaller scale, but, um, so much of the conversations I end up having, and and I started down this path multiple years ago uh, in my normal nine to five, trying to lead an organization down the path of human and organizational performance. And I quickly realized that if we went about this the same way that we normally have with safety stuff, uh, by just kind of throwing out a new set of of beliefs into the organization or throwing out a new set of tools that we'd quickly fail and we would just revert back to kind of our norm. And we found ourselves just having back to communication and building relationships. We just found ourselves constantly talking to people and challenging the organization's assumptions until it seemed like one day we finally clicked, like the organization finally just went, okay, we start to understand that error is not a choice, right? <laughs> because that's a big assumption that most organizations make, right? That human, not to get too far down the hop rabbit hole here, but organizations, most, a good chunk of them that are mired in traditional safety, start with this belief that, uh, you know, we start from a place of mistrust with our people. We start from a place of people are the problem. And we quickly move down that path. It's, it's just easy to kind of fall down that path of, okay, people are the problem. We need to control people when they mess up. We'll quickly extract our pound of flesh from them and move on. And nothing really good ever happens. But once we start challenging that assumption and saying, that, no, you know, people are really the solution. People are, are, are what we really need to focus on. We need to be more of a, uh, we need to really focus on our people and treat people like people. Uh, the best when the magic starts to happen, right? That's when, when it seems like organizations really start to believe some of those, like the five hop principles, or they start to believe in some of these concepts of safety differently. So yeah, that was, that was, that was earth shattering for me, uh, kind of the same to go, Oh yeah, of so course it I comes from somewhere. The values I, manifest from somewhere. There's not yeah. just something we make up, right? <laughs> that, that's a, that's a great story. When are you going to write your book? Uh, <laughs> so it's funny. So I wrote a book, I wrote a book <laughs> of all things. It's actually, it's actually behind me. It's called safety sucks. Ah, <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> but it's funny. So, so people, people have thrown that at me quite a bit. And it's funny because I wrote a book about, I wrote a, a safety book that's not about how to do safety. I wrote a safety book about how to work on the safety profession, which is, which is interesting. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it was one of those things where, you know, um, kind of working in this profession. Uh, I grew up kind of in the traditional safety space. I grew up under this kind of mantra of zero harm and pyramids hanging on the walls and, you know, a stick in one hand and a carrot in the other and trying to fix people. Uh, and after a few years of that, I was done. I was ready to leave the profession outright. Um, I found myself burned out. I was, I was tired. I was tired of preaching from a Bible that I didn't believe in. I've been forced to, you know, it's kind of the zero harm kind of things and all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to go find something else to do because safety is clearly not for me. Uh, and I quickly realized that I had a, had a really good friend that number one uh, was a mentor to me and said, no, don't leave. Just give it a little bit of time first. Don't, don't run away. <laughs> and then uh, within a week dropped the safety differently book by Decker on my desk, which oh, wow. uh, number one was the wrong place to start my education in human <laughs> organizational performance because it's kind of you know and even even talking to Sydney he said that he's like why'd you read that one first <laughs> well you want to you want to read you your story as I read uh, Drift into Failure first oh that oh, oh my god <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I kind of I found that and it 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 quickly uh clicked right it quickly it, everything kind of quickly clicked and I said okay this is where this is where we need to go. Um, and that's kind of a long story and just saying that 
a lot of this, a lot of this book uh, really calls out um, the things that number one, I wish I knew before I found myself in this profession. Mm. And many of those things, it really challenges our profession to do better and kind of focus on fixing our own house. Mm. We're very focused on trying to go out and make the world better for others. While we have safety professionals that are struggling, that are burnt out, that yeah. are, that are, that are really uh, dying of heart attacks or strokes. And there's some really bad cases of just suicide from occupationally induced depression and anxiety and all this kind of stuff, these weird, wacky positions they find themselves in. So a lot of it is, 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 is challenging our profession to do better for ourselves and for those that are kind of growing up in our profession. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, while we're talking, uh, I haven't, this idea came to me that we should write a book um, for the aspiring safety professional, the student, Yes. because I don't think there's anything out there. I mean, my book is, is oh. being, I know it's being used in one, in one class mm -hmm. and I got to talk to the students, which was really cool. That's, that's but awesome. My goal was really to get, this information into the universities at, at yes. the college level. But I yes. think um, with your, um, like the stories, your book is mm -hmm. about the, you know, this is what I wish I knew. They should definitely have that. Yeah. Well, and because I've, I, I talked to many safety professionals, um, it, it's funny because when I started down that path, I had originally wrote an article and I, I never intended to write a book. Let me just throw that out there. I wrote an article just kind of tongue in cheek called the six sucks of the safety profession <laughs> published it on LinkedIn. And it was weird. It's the only article that I've ever published. that got like a ton of views, right? And I'm like that one, that's the, that's, that's the, the one. one. It was just kind of surprising. Go. You gotta go with the flow. <laughs> but my, 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 my messages and my email just flooded with stories of, from other safety professionals mm -hmm. kind of telling me these horror stories of the profession. Right. And I'm going, that's just, it's just not acceptable, right? It's just not acceptable. And I, I again, I love this. I, I have to say that it's funny because the book is called safety sucks. But as soon as you open the first page, the first paragraph starts with me talking about how much I love the safety profession. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love it enough to call it out, right? To kind of call BS, BS. Well, it could, it could make it onto the college bookshelves. I remember when I was at UCLA, I, mm -hmm. I, it, there was this book. It said, steal this book. Right. I love it. <laughs> so right. That's good marketing. That is perfect. Yeah, such amazing marketing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I agree because it seems like there's, there's a disconnect there. Most of the, the folks that I know mm -hmm. uh, that go through, um, especially environmental health and safety programs in particular, uh, when they, when they really hone in on that and, and take that at a collegiate level, um, they almost come out. I'm not picking on them. There's some amazing universities out there. Again, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to paint everyone with, with one brush, um, but they really come out as compliance experts, right? And there, there's a need for that technical knowledge. I, I'm yes. not, I'm not downplaying that at all, but to your point, I think, we need to focus more on trying to teach safety professionals how to interact with people, how to think about problems rather than just possessing the technical knowledge. Um, because especially as our profession kind of kind of morphs and evolves into this new place of uh, really moving past some of the more simplistic traditional approaches to safety, we really need to be more well-rounded professionals. So just having the ability to kind of talk about this, maybe the not so great is important, but to give some tools on how to maybe approach safety other than just compliance is really, really, really valuable. I think. Well, or, or we, I think the profession might go in two different directions because yeah. some people are very good at engineering and mm -hmm. the technical and they do not have the inclination right. to, uh, to interact with people. So maybe like a socio-psychological branch of safety, something, right. something along that nature right. uh, 
is going, I think it has to emerge. We've been talking a lot about it on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think so because it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I chat with some of my friends that are the day-to-day practitioners of human and organizational performance in organizations. Um, and it's, it's, it's number one, it's, it's amazing to see those, those, those job roles actually happening in organizations to where we're going, no, we actually have a dedicated human and organizational performance staff, right? That's interesting. And that, that's having those conversations with those people. That's what they're starting to see in their organizations is they're seeing kind of this safety department, air quotes, their safety department. But what it really is, is, is they're really focused on the organization overall. They have a couple of those people, those very technical engineering-based compliance experts that we need dearly. They yes. have those people there, but um, they have those people there to handle that stuff. Right. This kind of jack of all trades mentality that we've had in the safety profession for a long time is starting. It's on its way out. We're starting to realize that people can't really be jacks of all trades. We we need to hire people for their strengths and focus on their strengths Um, and stop blaming and stop blaming the safety professionals who don't want to. Right. Right. Because they they know who they are and they know what's important to them. Well, it's, that's, that's one of the worst, right? That's one of the worst things, whether it's a safety professional or a leader, and we, we touched on this, is those people that are, th- like, especially people that do not enjoy public speaking at all. Mm-hmm. And we quickly say, but you're the safety person, you have to. And we throw them out there, and they're, they're God love them, right? They're up there yeah. stuttering and turning red and going, I don't like this, I hate this. And it right. just destroys them, right? So it's kind of back to that point of going, you know, yeah. we probably need to think about their strengths. We need to think about what they're great at. You know, this person, uh, she is absolutely excellent at these technical skills at focusing on this compliance part. Uh, and, and, and this person over here, they're very focused uh, on, on growing relationships. They're great in the field. They're great at having conversations. Mm-hmm. This person definitely don't put them in front of a room talking to people. Right? Right, yeah. That's okay. I think, I think it's that it's, it's understanding that we need a more diversity in our profession. I think is some of that too, is, yeah. is, is being open to that. Yeah. Absolutely. So how can, how can people, how can people find you? We already talked about the book. It's on Amazon. Um, how can people find you uh, in other places? Well, um, I'm going, I'm doing a lot of virtual seminars. <laughs> we have, uh, I, you're familiar with the art of work, right? We had, right. Right. We had a virtual webinar with uh, Sydney Decker and Michael Tuma. Uh, that was uh, that got a lot of play. So now we're doing it for the English, for, for the UK group. Nice. Nice. Well, I think you can, um, if you, if you're, if you're on LinkedIn, that's the best place to keep track of everywhere that I'm speaking. I, cause I, I have several things that are coming up that I'm doing. Everybody's going to virtual now. Right. That's exciting. That's, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's interesting to see our world adapt to this weird and wacky wild thing that we found ourselves in the middle of, uh, and progress doesn't stop. We, we continue marching on. We continue driving towards betterment, whether it's in person or us through zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been great. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I greatly appreciate you, you accepting and coming and hanging out. This has been, been phenomenal. I know it's, it's a great folks out there. Thank you. Yeah, same here. I just, I, I love just listening. Like I said, there's several moments in this conversation where I'm going, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just listening to some of the points that you're bringing up. It's, it's so important. This, this message is so important. I'm so happy that we get the opportunity to share it with some, most of my audience is safety practitioners. 
Uh, there's some there's some rogue leaders that are that are undercover hop nerds <laughs> that tune into some some rogue executives that that can't quite you know spread this message openly yet unfortunately but <laughs> oh, yeah well you are unusual because I can see you read normal accidents <laughs> yeah so when, when I when I say nerd yes yeah, so I, I I like I like Perot I, li- I like I like I like digging into Perot stuff um, yeah. it, it's so funny I I really tune into to a little bit of everything. I really do. I think it's, I think it's important. And that's what I share with a lot of the safety professionals that I, that I communicate with is, is just to broaden your base a little bit. Um, there's so many lessons that we need to learn that are way outside, way outside of, of the safety space uh, in particular. You know, I've, I've, I've got a whole list of book recommendations here that folks that I have on the podcast keep giving me books, you know, that are non-safety related. I'm like, perfect. Exactly. I need well, that, that's where the creative ideas are going to come from outside of right. it. That, that's actually that's actually the one that Clive left with everyone um, was was uh, the fearless organization. Oh yeah, Amy, Amy Edmondson. I'm excited. Yeah. I haven't read that one, so I'm excited to pick that one up and yeah. read that yeah. one as well. So, well, so so we we talked about a lot of topics, and I if I'm going to leave people with one final thought is that your ability to inspire people to implement safety protocols to um, make the world, the workplace safer, watch out for your other coworkers to be able to approach them, which is a very difficult thing to do. It really depends on how evolved you are as a person. So I I think that we have to start looking at tools like mindfulness, meditation, Uh, and other like the fear, uh, you know, authenticity, reading books about authenticity and the fearless leader. Because until we're comfortable doing the things that we're asking other people to do, speaking up, including others, uh, caring about others, we have to be that ourselves first. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's so powerful. Exactly. And it even kind of goes into that. That's where I still, I just encourage people just to just, um, self-care is huge. Learning from broadening your base is huge, right? And it's, it's just, it lends right back to your point that um, you have to be able to go out and do that stuff yourself if you want others to do it. So I think that's so important. That's so important. And it's dangerous. It's risky, right? That's kind of the point. It's, that's where it's, it's hard. It can be a little risky to, to be the dissenting voice or to, to stick your neck out a little bit or to challenge, right? So. No, absolutely. Wonderful message. Thank you so much for coming on. Again, I, I thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us. Well, thank you for inviting me, and I will definitely get your book. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Told you, you would not be disappointed in that. Rosa is just the best, right? I mean, how was that? I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear your input. You're going to want to go back and listen to that one again. You're also going to want to head over and pick up Rosa's book. It's on Amazon. It's called The Relationship Factor in Safety Leadership, Achieving Success Through Employee Engagement. Just awesome. Just amazing. I can't say that enough. Can you tell how happy I am, how excited I am, how energized I am by that conversation that I had with Rosa? It's just great. So you can find her on LinkedIn. You can find her in all those places. You can find her website. You just Google Rosa and you will find all that stuff. So until next time, that's all I've got. Sam Goodman, the Hop Nerd, signing off. (gasps) Bye, everybody. Bye. (laughs) 